You know, this year, we, well, last year we read the Bible through. Uh, several of us uh, succeeded in, in reading almost every day, but reading the entire Bible uh, from Genesis all the way through the end of, of Revelation. Uh, and if you didn't make it that, you, you know, you can finish and read it in two years. But uh, our goal this year is to read the New Testament three or four times uh, and really pay attention to what we're reading each week. Uh, we have seven chapters in, uh, this week, uh, well, last week, seven chapters in Luke and seven chapters in Acts. This coming, or the week beginning today, we have seven more chapters in Luke and Acts. So by Saturday, we should have finished the 14 chapters in Luke and Acts. But I would encourage you to read it two or three times. I would encourage you to read uh, one time with one translation, then read it again with another translation. Read it maybe the same chapter two or three times a day from different translations so that you're really getting a real sense of what the scriptures say, uh, of, of what Luke is saying in the gospel of, uh, about Jesus, the book called Luke, and in the history of the church, uh, the book called Acts. Uh, and as we do that, on Sunday evenings, we'll be looking very specifically at Acts, and on Wednesday evenings, we'll be looking at uh, Luke. Uh, and right now, on Sunday mornings, we're also talking about the church, what the church is, and who it's supposed to be, who we are supposed to be. You know, the Bible is the story of God and God's people. From the very beginning, it is the story of God's relationship with his creation, with the people that he's made. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He had a real communion with them. Uh, but when they sinned, that communion, that relationship was, uh, was diminished. That sin brought a separation between God and humankind. And I know God grieved paradise lost. The grief that we might have experienced, I doubt, is anything like what he himself grieved. The rebellion of the angel and the corruption of the world must have hurt God significantly. Just as if any of us are looking at, at a child that's injured or something that we've spent a great deal of time developing and working and that is ruined, that's, that brings a pain to us. the deception of humankind and then their entrance into sin must have disappointed and grieved the giver of every good and perfect gift because the perfection that he had given was not there anymore. The sin brought death to humankind. He brought death into this world. In fact, now everything dies eventually. but it also brought an immediate promise from God that he's going to fix it. It also brought that promise from God from the very beginning that his will would work diligently to bring about a restoration of our relationship with him. There was that immediate promise that God would correct the harm that had been done. 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent, the Satan, the, the deceiver. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So the stage is set immediately that uh, here in chapter 3 of Genesis, that eventually a descendant of woman, the son of man, uh, son of Eve, would come and destroy the power that Satan had. God would crush the rebellion. Satan had used deception and sin to gain a following in this world, but God would use truth and forgiveness to bring men back to himself. So the son of Eve, a human, would be the one who would bring peace and righteousness back to humankind, back to mankind. The descendant would break the power of Satan the power that he had over us. And that power was the condemnation of sin and death. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, uh, of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Death had no right to claim him because he had not sinned, but yet did claim him, and so he had the power to, to uh, to live again. Death couldn't hold Jesus. God then proved that he indeed was the Son of God by the resurrection, by raising him from the dead. Paul writes about that when he's writing to the church in Corinth, how that Jesus is proven to be the Christ and how that we have hope, we have the promise of our everlasting life based on what Jesus did in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a great chapter on the resurrection. Uh, Verse 20, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each... In his own order, Christ the first fruits when at his coming those who belong to Christ, or then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When Jesus destroys death, coming again to claim his bride and takes the church or the kingdom of God back to God, then death will be destroyed. Satan will have no power ever again. This year, we want to study and know the story of God's people, the church. Of course, we start that by understanding how we are part of God's story. And to achieve that, as I said at the beginning, we want to read the New Testament, and we're going to start with Luke and Acts so that we can know Jesus, so that we can know the story of Jesus and how he lived, 
his idea of what it means to be of God, what it means to be a Christian. Then we're uh, we're going to look at the church and know how the church exploded there in that first century and how these people took the message of Christ, uh, of the message of righteousness, the message of Jesus, and how they lived that life in their world. We want to know Jesus and His church and then see how we can see our own story as part of God's story. How we see ourselves in the kingdom of God as part of God's story. This year, we want to know God and His story. Jesus and His story. His church, the story of His kingdom how we can be a part of it. The coming of Jesus fulfilled prophecies and promises. Uh, There had been that promise from the very beginning that one would come who would bring about an end to Satan's power. That purpose began when sin entered, or that that prophecy. And it was fulfilled in the advent of Jesus. Uh, in his establishing the kingdom of God, or the church, the body of the saved. That's what the church is. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's the body of the saved, those who follow God. God would sustain that purpose in the years after Jesus by the people who compose the church, by you and me, and our proclamation of faith and the spreading of the gospel, uh, the message of salvation to the world that was still outside of the kingdom. That's what Paul was talking about in our Bible reading today in Ephesians chapter 3. Some of those verses that Bobby read for us, verse 7, Ephesians chapter 3, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. What is the purpose? What was God's dream uh, uh, hidden in ages past, but now is known? Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's eternal plan came to fruition, was fulfilled in Christ. Israel had been God's chosen people. They sometimes fell into sin, however. God uh, chose David to be a king because David was a man after his own heart. And David still sinned from time to time. He promised David that 
a descendant of his would reign on the throne in a kingdom, a new type of kingdom. Prophet Jeremiah talked about that. Uh, in fact, there are many prophecies, many uh, statements about this new king and this new kingdom. Uh, Jeremiah would say, and, and this is to Israel as they were about to be taken into captivity because they kept sinning. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This is Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their, their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Jesus was the beginning of that fulfillment uh, of God's promises, of the new kingdom, of the new law, of this new relationship with, with forgiveness. It's what Gabriel told Mary when he or the angel announced to Mary that she would have a son. the, The angel said, you will have a son who will be the fulfillment of these prophecies. He'll be on the throne of David. And he'll reign in the kingdom of God forever. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Gabriel is announcing the kingdom is coming. The Messiah is coming, in in fact, within you. And he will reign forever in this kingdom that will be forever. So the kingdom of God now is about a restoration of that relationship lost. It's about forgiveness, where sin is not remembered anymore. The kingdom of God or the church is about a people of faith who are forgiven. That's who we are. We are a people of faith who have been forgiven by the grace of God. Jeremiah's prophecy tells us about this new kingdom, this new people born of faith, not of flesh, like the Jews descended of Abraham were. In the new kingdom, the law, as opposed to being written on tablets of stone, written within our hearts, within us. God worked toward that day when his people would be from every nation in the world, every people, every race, from every corner throughout all the world, not just those who were born of that specific ethnicity. After Jesus was born, 
you may have read this passage this past week as well in Luke chapter 2. Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple to offer the sacrifice because firstborn sons had to be bought back from God and they offered a, two doves to atone for him. To, uh, but while they're at the temple, there's a man there, Simeon. He is a prophet of God and he prophesies all the time and, and he sees the child. Luke chapter 2 verse 29 is the prophecy that he has about this child that's born and about the salvation that is coming in his name and about the kingdom of God, the fulfillment of the promises of God. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel not just the Jews anymore, but now it is for all the Gentiles. That's you and me. 33 years later, after Jesus now has lived and, and taught others how to live before God, but now has died on the cross and been raised, Peter, with the other apostles, are there in Jerusalem. And we have the text of Peter's sermon. That's Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But I do want to read several verses from his sermon. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. Dropping down in, in verse 16. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pains uh, of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 32 now. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. They now believe. They're convicted. They say, what do we do? Where do we go from here? 
We realize we've messed up. We've rejected the Messiah. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Many other, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. That day there were added, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church is the fulfillment of the prophecies of ages past. It's the kingdom of God. And we each have an opportunity to be part of God's story by being part of his kingdom, his church. Paul, remember back in the Ephesian letter, said that he and the church were now part of God's plan and that it was our task to tell the message of Jesus so that everyone might be able to know Christ and be part of the kingdom of God, part of the church. That that was God's wisdom of spreading the message of salvation in every place. The way we take God's grace and the way we live that grace is our story in God's story. Our reflection of Christ becomes the story of God that the world sees. So very important then that we have a good reflection of what it means to be a child of God, of what it means to be part a citizen in the kingdom of God because that's God's story the world is seeing. When Paul writes to the Corinthians again in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, he tells them, you are a letter of Christ. The world looks at you and the world sees the gospel and how poorly or how well you are living in that gospel. Verse 2, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God's story of love for his creation can be our story if we're willing to live the message of Jesus. If we're willing to allow the Spirit of God to be in us and change us and to Jesus, then the world can see the message of God's love and salvation through us. God's designed the story of his church to reach out to all mankind. Sometimes we are a very poor manuscript. But that's what he wants us to be. So this can be our story. God designed 
the church for us as a as a vehicle through which we can serve him as a a body of support that can help us to live before God in service God designed the church to be his kingdom on the earth not a kingdom encircled with walls as such not a kingdom that has a specific territory of ground but a kingdom that reaches out into hearts everywhere in every nation under uh, every economic level every ethnicity every race every people God designed the church or the kingdom to be composed of those who would believe in Jesus and follow Jesus designed the church then to reach out into the world with that message so that it could be ever expanding Indeed, one of the prophecies out of Daniel talks about the church, the kingdom of God, would supersede all the nations of the earth in that it, uh, that promise of the rock coming out of the, uh, out of the mountain and shattering the, the, the statue that represented all the kings of the earth and then growing to encompass the entire world. That's what he wants us to be. Who, that's what he wants his kingdom to be. But each one's participation in the church should be the story of everyone who believes. In Jerusalem that day on Pentecost, there were 3,000 people that believed that day. They changed. They began to follow what the leaders of the church were saying, Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others. Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. That's what we did this morning. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That verse 47 lets us know something. It's really interesting. Every saved person is part of the church, part of the kingdom of God, whether they understand that or not, or whether they believe it or not, or whether they even want to or not. Because when we are saved, God puts us into his church, puts us into his kingdom. That person may not be an active member, might be a pretty poor citizen. But each saved person is a member of the church of our Lord, of the kingdom of God. It's God's intention that those persons he saves, saves from sin, saves from the condemnation of their sin, saves from the grasp of Satan, that we work together as his church to fulfill his purposes on the earth, to continue to proclaim that God is God, that Christ is his risen son. He reigns from the throne in heaven. During the coming weeks, we want to talk about this a bunch more. 
We want to understand our role in the kingdom. But unfortunately, there's an awful lot of people, even some that call themselves Christians, that don't really want to be part of the church. We need to understand that you can't do that. It's impossible. Because if you're a Christian, you're part of the church. Sometimes by those persons who claim to be Christians, though, and this might even be some of us, there's so little difference between us and the world, except maybe for an occasional Sunday morning uh, chime with the assembly, that we are a very poor manuscript of Christ. Paul wouldn't write a letter complimenting us. Even more tragically, there are millions of people today that that may want to call themselves Christians, but they state emphatically, I don't want anything to do with the church. That's tragic. There could be a lot of reasons for that. One might be our failure as the church to be like Jesus. And so they see us and they say, well, if that's the church, I don't want anything to do with it. That's really unfortunate that our living for Christ has caused much of the world to be disenfranchised. doesn't change God's desire that every person be part of the church and every person be part of the kingdom of God and work together to serve Him. This means that we haven't always done a very good job. Sometimes it might be the infighting uh, uh, among churches and, and people get disinterested in the church because of infighting. Still doesn't change God's desire that we work together to fulfill His purposes that we are the kingdom of God. Part of the problem might be simply our failure to tell the world about Jesus. In fact, that's probably the primary cause of the problem. We've not been willing to say enough times and enough places to enough different people I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and He's changed me. I hope He's changed you. We need to recapture the story of God in us. We need to see ourselves as part of God's story. We need to be able to see the difference in us that Jesus has made. How we have been changed by the grace of God. How we've become different because we profess Jesus as our Lord. So what has Jesus done for you? How has he changed you? Ask yourself that question. Give yourself an answer to that question. What is Jesus in me? How has Jesus in me made me different from the world? What what thing better am I? Not to brag, but to have a testimony. This is what Jesus has done for me, how he's changed me. You look, the rock-flipping Simon 
became the solid rock Peter, the proclaimer of Christ. The mean-spirited John became the disciple of love. Christ did that to them. The persecuting Saul became the persecuted proclaimer of Christ, Paul. The Jews that were in Jerusalem on Pentecost had recently called for the crucifixion of Christ. The message of Jesus changed them. They repented. And now they were fully devoted to following Jesus. You read in the first couple of chapters of Acts how they gave fully of themselves. One of those, Joseph, we don't know, we seldom use that part of his name. When he, be, when he knew Jesus, he became Barnabas, the encourager. What has Jesus done to change us? How are we different than we would have been otherwise? You know, that's an easy answer for the reprobate, the person that's lived in the middle of... Many of us, if not most of us, however, came from a home. We've been going to church all of our lives. We were never reprobate. Or at least, well, I don't know about all of you. So that question may not be so easy for some of us to answer. As we look at Jesus and his church during this year, I want us to be able to see how we are different because of faith and discipleship. How has Christ formed us? How has he molded us to be who we are? Not that we, we probably started off as a reasonably good lump of clay. But what has he done to us? What gifts has he given to us? How have we been able to use those gifts in his service? Isaiah the prophet, talking about God and how he works with us, chapter 64, verse 8 says, And now, O Lord, you are our Father we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Have you allowed the Spirit of God to mold you, change you? Let's be standing. Every assembly, we have those in the foyer that will pray with you or some here that will pray with you. If you're a child of God, but you're, you need some help in getting refocused, we want to pray with you. Or maybe you, as of yet, have not been born again. You've not professed your faith before others, confessed that Jesus is the Christ. You haven't been born again, buried with Jesus and baptism for the remission of your sins. That can happen this morning. Everything is ready. The water is warm. There's changes of clothes. You can be a child of God. You can be part of the kingdom of God, a citizen in God's kingdom on earth. We encourage you to come.
while we sing praises to our God.